What is up, you beautiful bastards? I missed you. It's your boy, Hotkeys, a.k.a. Rabbi Cantlose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to Ryan Holiday, a good buddy of mine, entrepreneur, bustling author, and probably the most well-read person I know. Plus, little known fact, he's a farmer. So this is a shockingly great episode. I've known Ryan for over 10 years, and I thought I knew everything about him, and I've seen everything about him, but there was a lot more things, and it was really interesting to get his take on investments, marriage, writing, and a bunch more things. It's no surprise that his latest book, Stillness is the Key, might be his best work to date. Definitely go check that out. If you ever want to learn about how authors make money and more, you'll love this episode. Here's three major things you're going to take away. Number one, step-by-step how Ryan created publicity for his new book. Two, his must-read books before you die. And three, Ryan's stoic journey and why professional athletes eat it up. Enjoy those three things plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we jump into the conversation, go check out okdork.com slash 31. I am giving away all of Ryan Holiday's books. Yes, including his newest book, Stillness is the Key. Go check it out, okdork.com slash 31. It's free. Also, a special free show shout out to listener Jod Pod of the United Kingdom. Hello, Queen. He left a review saying, Noah's show is consistent value and keep it up. Oh, yeah, dog. I will keep it up. Thank you so much. If you want to shout out in a future episode, leave an iTunes review. I love you and I check every single one of them. I Googled your net worth. I was like, let me think about fun things to come talk about. Okay. But did you get the page taken down? No. I've never Googled that before. What does it say? So it said yours was 6.5. There's like celebrity net worth. How would they possibly be calculated? I don't know. I don't think that's what it is. This is actually one of the main topics I wanted to go over is money. Okay. Right? Because I think we've talked about money. And, yeah. You know, let, let's take it back to the beginning. When you were in New Orleans, I think Trust Me Online was starting to come out. New Orleans. New Orleans. It's New Orleans. New Orleans. Yes. This is like some Manchac, Manchaca shit. All right. <laughs> New Orleans? New Orleans. All right. So in New Orleans, I guess for me in general, it was like, what was your plan from New Orleans into where we are? This is now like 10 years. I don't know how much of a plan I had. I mean, so I guess when we met, well, I lived in New Orleans because I wanted to be a writer and I didn't know how long it was going to take. So we moved somewhere really cheap. I think my rent on that apartment in New Orleans was like 800 bucks a month or something. And it was awesome. And so it was really cheap and I could sort of do whatever I wanted. I was still consulting at American Apparel. And I think I was just starting Brass Check then, which is my marketing company. And I would have just sold my first book. I got a, a decent amount of money for that. So that was like the first sort of life-changing amount of money that I'd gotten. But I think I was still figuring it out. I didn't know that I'd write this many books since then. I didn't know that they'd sell the way that they sold. I didn't know, like, I don't even think I'd done any public speaking yet then. So I was still really early on it. When we met, I was probably 24. So yeah. a lot of it was still remained to be revealed. I think everyone's looking for paths to copy. Yeah, sure. So it does seem like you chase smaller money. In a way where you're doing like a $20,000 speaking gig versus like doubling your marketing agency or focusing on a book or focusing. And so yeah. I guess I, I'm curious how you think about your revenue channels. And what I always think about is like, what is like the end of this look like, right? So like, let's say I double the size of my marketing company, it could increase revenue significantly. But chances are, I'll have to do a bunch of things that I don't like doing that take me away from the main thing I do like doing, which is writing. You know, we were talking earlier about office space, or now I'm dealing with client meetings, or I'm dealing with human, like I've always been relatively leery about overhead and about things that I have to be responsible for. Because the main thing that I do, which is writing, requires a certain amount of freedom and sort of lack of intrusions. So the way I run the marketing company or the consulting agency is like, I really only want to work on things that are cool. So I want to have the ability to work on cool things, but I don't ever want to have to be working on things to pay for other people or to pay for space. 
that's sort of how I've always structured it. I guess I was just curious how you think about your business opportunities and, and structuring your different... I think about having like multiple income streams. And then I also think about having, and you know, I've talked about real estate before. I like having income streams that don't depend on me creating things. I like the idea that if my books were suddenly blacklisted or if I decided to work for like 20 years on my next book, that wouldn't really change my lifestyle because I have royalties from projects, I have income from businesses I've started, and then also the investments that I've made are primarily sort of cash producing. So I totally get some people are like, look, I'm going to go get really good at angel investing or, or whatever. I'm going to invest in a bunch of companies, you know, hope a handful of them will pay off. And then like in five to 10 years, I'll get some enormous payoff that'll be like sort of FU money. I don't know if I have the risk tolerance to really do that. That's like not what I like. And then also I'm, I'm just more interested in like things that are, in a way, I almost feel like there's a lack of diversification in that because it feels very similar to what I do professionally. You know what I mean? Like it's all kind of in the same network and area and sector. And so I like just having really basic things that if I got hit by a bus and I was on like on life support, wouldn't be affected really in any way. Maybe can you walk there, I think for listeners to like, because I think when people think of an author, yeah. They're like, oh, this person once a year puts out a book and they yeah. maybe do some tweets. Yeah. And then they do some podcasts and they get these royalties. And Yeah, most authors are not getting any royalties. So the way traditional publishing works is you sell a book and you get an advance. So you sell basically all the rights, you get an advance, and then you get royalties if you earn out the advance. So my first book when we met, I can last it over. So I got 200000 and then there was about 50000 in earnouts on Trust Me, I'm Lying. So that book is sold extremely well. It sold probably 150,000 copies, which is like great for a traditionally published book. That one hasn't earned out. So like, let's say I'd only published that book. And I know plenty of people who publish books around then that are like working on their second book now. Like I would have not made any money since 2012 because all the foreign rights apply to the advance, all the sales apply to the advance, whatever. It's like probably the next royalty statement it'll earn out. But that's, you know, that took like eight years or something. The next book that I sold, I sold the little one in between, but The Obstacles Away I sold, I got less than half that I got for Trust Me I'm Lying because it was seemingly a lot less sexy book. It was, you know, about ancient philosophy. It was nerdier. And then Trust Me I'm Lying had done well, but since it hadn't earned out, they're not going to pay you more for the next one. So I got less, but that book earned out within like the first six months and is now sold, you know, six or 700,000 copies. So that one does pay royalties. So every six months you get paid for like the previous six months. And so all my other books basically since then, I've gotten bigger advances, but then they've also earned out. Was your strategy from an author perspective as you enjoy writing to be like, I don't know which books are going to hit. So let me pump out a lot of books potentially. I'm not really thinking about pumping out books, but it's more like I like writing. So that's what I want to be doing. And so I'm always doing it. And I like having the next project. I think if you wait too long, it, it's hard to get back into it. It's like if you jump in a in cold water and you swim around and it, it's awesome. But then when you get out, you don't want to get back in. I like to kind of stay in it. It's more like I just want to keep writing. And that's sort of what I've always done. The interesting thing about nonfiction books, which is the space that I'm in, is that most nonfiction authors make more money from speaking than from sales. I'm probably unique in that my books have sold really well. So I also make a lot of money from sales. But then speaking has been a, you know, pretty consistent source of income since 2012. I'm actually now with Vayner Speakers, who I really like, which is Gary Vaynerchuk's company. I just did gigs in Budapest and Bucharest. 
got a gig on Tuesday in London. I like going to cool places. I like getting in front of audiences. I like spreading the ideas in the books. So yeah, that's kind of the economics of being an author. What's unusual for my stuff is that around 2016, we built this site, Daily Stoic, because I wrote a book called Daily Stoic and paid $6,000 for this domain, dailystoic.com. I was like, oh, we'll just send out an email every day that's like continuation of the book. And then we had an idea for a poster and then we and we started making these products. And now that has become a successful, sustainable business that has employees. And is, I think the email goes out to 200,000 people every day. It's been really cool. So if you sell a book to a publisher, typically it's like, I sell a book to Penguin, that's my publisher. And then Penguin sells that book to bookstores and then bookstores sells that book to customers. So there's a lot of people between you and the cash register. And what's been interesting about Daily Stoic is that it's the first time that I'm selling things directly to fans of my writing. We bought the rights for a leather-bound edition that we're going to put out. Like we just came out with a, uh, like a page-a-day calendar. Those are typically things you would sub-license to uh, someone else. But now that we have direct access to the audience, we can sell things that otherwise we'd have middlemen in. So that's been interesting too. Can you walk through your different income streams? I think this is really fascinating because I think most people don't even have the imagination necessarily. I guess part of it is, is this more like, hey, these are opportunities. Like how did the Daily Stoic from writing the book to like, let's sell products. So you read a page a day and then you get to the last day of the year. What are you supposed to do? Like, how do you continue? Because you can't update a book. So I thought we'll just make an email version. We'll, uh, We'll do the email each day. And so we started doing that. And then it was like, typically online, how do you monetize stuff on the internet? Like advertisements, right? And it just felt kind of not the right way to monetize it. You know, like how do most people monetize brands online then? It's like, let's sell t-shirts. That felt really cheap and crappy. Like I didn't want to do t-shirts. And so I thought like, well, what are like actual things that would be philosophically meaningful and advance the ideas in the book? So like, these are the coins, right? Did I give you one of these? Yeah, a long time ago. That was like one of the first products we made. And it was like, just the response was just like overwhelming. Like I, I made it for myself primarily, but then it was like, oh, now we actually have like a way to sell it. So that's like a big part of the revenue for the stuff. But to go to your question about revenue streams. So I guess like as an author, it would be book advances, book royalties, speaking, and then consulting. And then I guess it would be products related to to Daily Stoic or courses or things like that. Do so you have courses in Daily Stoic? Yeah. And then, and then so like a couple of years ago, we, we were like, well, what if we did like a challenge, like a 30 days of Stoicism? Like, what would that be? And so we did that and that really blew up. And then we did a New Year's one. So I think we've done four or five of them now. And they're like sort of email-based challenges. Like, so each morning for 30 days or 21 days or however long the thing is, it's like a, a thing you're supposed to do every day. So they're not really courses like in the, like, hey, like watch these 10 videos videos like sort of module thing it's more like a premium version of what we're already doing which is like delivering an email every day like the daily stoic email goes out every day for free monday through friday and then if you want saturday and sunday there's like a premium version and then you can get like a book form of it and there's other ways that you can like sort of participate in it but it it sort of just became like an ecosystem built around an idea and it's probably now the largest community around stoicism like probably ever i was gonna say is tim mad that you kind of stole stoicism from him well i definitely didn't steal (laughs) ancient philosophy from tim but he and i like connected over that when we first met so i think we just both always been interested but the interesting thing is my book agent uh his name is steve hanselman is actually my co-writer on the daily stoic and he's also tim's agent 
because he did all the translations in of, of all the Stokes, because you can speak Greek and Latin. And so, okay, so you have those, you have the the e-commerce business, and then you have real estate holdings. Yeah. And then you do invest startup investing? Or? Yeah, a little bit here or there. Like in stuff that I'm actually interested in or think I know about. Do you have a CFO or person? Like, how do you keep track of all this stuff? I have an accountant, and then I have a wealth manager person who manages like a little bit of my stuff. And then I, I run like sort of questions by, but I mostly do it myself. But yeah, the idea is like, okay, so you're getting income from books and speaking and, and whatever, and, you know, provided you're not spending it all, where are you putting it? I wanted it to be in sort of steady, passive income generating things so that I could, like, the reason I was able to take half the advance for obstacle that I took for Trust Me was that I had, you know, my own business, I had speaking, like, I, I was able to go like, the money that you're advancing me is not important. Do you know what I mean? Because like you have other, I have there. income. Like so, it really is an advance. But like, if the advance was zero, it would be the same because I know it's going to work out the back end. And then, do you find people, or do you already have people to run these businesses? So Brass Check, which I started as a marketing agency, where at Brass Check has sort of gone. We worked with all sorts of big authors and brands and companies over the last like eight or nine years. But then it was sort of like, if we're actually good at this sort of marketing consulting stuff, why are we just selling our services to other people? It was like, why don't we just do our own things? So Daily Stoic is kind of like, instead of just having a client, what if you just actually owned the business? Yeah. And that, that's sort of how that, that's grown. It's interesting. What's yeah. next in terms of uh, I started a site called Daily Dad and sort of starting, we're kind of recreating the Daily Stoic playbook. And then I'm just writing more books. Of your week, where is the time allocation across these things? Plus, you, you know, the wife and the kids. So it's, yeah. it's much more strict. It's sort of like maker in the morning, manager in the afternoon. So I do like the creative free-flowing thinking stuff as early as possible and then transition over towards like interviews or meetings or, you know, all the stuff. What you can't do is have like meetings scheduled throughout the day and then like, oh, I'll take 10 minutes to write. You know, you need like large blocks of uninterrupted sort of like deep work time. So I, I front load all that at the beginning of the day. But of your week, what's the, I was looking at like, I was thinking like a pie chart across these, you have so many different things. Yeah, it's probably 60% writing stuff, 40% other stuff. Okay. How did you even have time to go look at real estate stuff? It's kind of like a hobby for me a little bit, but like that hasn't been an issue. Like, do I have time to do it? But I don't do a ton of it. I'm sort of a buy and hold type person. So I'm not like flipping things or whatever. It's more like, oh, I think this is undervalued. Okay, let's buy this. How much income is it producing? Who's managing it? What's the sort of, you know, what's the rate of return? Looking at it like that. How does this relate to other types of careers? Just this lifestyle that you've created, like, or this like empire of sorts? Well, it's definitely not an empire, but I think the diversity gives you freedom to not be too wedded into one thing or another. Did you read the David Epstein book, Range? No. Super recommend, really good. I think one of the reasons my books have worked, even though like you'd think like books about ancient philosophy would not be able to resonate with people who are not philosophy nerds, you know? But I think one of the reasons they've worked in different circles is because I have a diverse range of interests and experiences, and that is fueling the book. So I'm not, like, I think it's really easy as a writer to become, like, just exist in your own sort of writer fantasy land universe, you know, where, like, the world isn't real. And I think having these other things has, you know, it's like, oh, man, I'm dealing with this, you know, frustrating local government thing, or I'm dealing with this high stakes negotiation, or, you know, like, or I'm dealing with this client who's behaving a certain way. Like, I'm getting different glimpses into, like, how people work and how the world works and how things go. 
that's giving me insights that uh, make the writing resonate with actual people because it's not theoretical. I think what a listener would imagine, I think what's really a great takeaway is that do the majority of the thing that you really love doing, but create some level of security so that you don't, you can do it without any risk. Yeah. It's like, because with Brass Check, we consult with lots of authors. So all, every once in a while, hear from someone who like 12 years ago will have written a book that sold like 2 million copies. Like that's great, but like the economics of books are not that life-changing. You can very easily kind of fall out of the game or you can very easily like now you're just like at zero. Do you know what I mean? And so like having different things and different irons in the fire, I think has been, I think it's also kind of an insurance policy because you don't know. You know, I'd almost say like a lot of common advice where I can imagine when your next book's like one thing is the thing, like that's Ryan Holiday's next book title would be another piece of advice though, which is like, hey, if you're good at writing, just spend all your day writing. I do also appreciate that you're like, I'm learning through the consulting. I'm learning through trying to do like this e-commerce type businesses. I'm learning through other things. Running an e-commerce business where you have direct access to the audience, it gives you a sense of like who your audience is in a way that a typical author might not. Consulting and working on other people's launches, I've met people in media outlets and done things that have helped my own launches and vice versa. So it's like you're going and you're developing a kind of an expertise. I could give that away for free to a couple friends or I could monetize it and sell it. I guess with that, what it leads me to is like, what do you say no to? Yeah, I'm less good at saying no. I mean, I talk about this a little bit in the book, like I'm talking to myself more than probably the reader, but it's hard to say no. But uh, if someone's like, hey, do you want to do like, you want to climb Mount Everest? I'd be like, I don't know anything about that, like probably a bad idea. But like, if it's adjacent to sort of your levels of expertise, then it's like, it's a little more tempting. But I remember I had a conversation with Tim one time where he was like, you know, like, what do you do with your money? And I was like, I just like invested in stuff. And he's like, so you don't like spend it or you don't like have a speedboat or anything? And I was like, no. And he's like, so why are you like trying to earn so much more? And that was a really good question. So I, I sometimes I do think about that. It's like, okay, let's say this project is, I could squeeze this project in and let's say there were no opportunity costs to it. Where would that go? And, and then the rental thing I was telling you about, that's like, let's say if that had really worked, maybe it would have been producing $1,000 a month in profit, let's say, right? Which is not an inconsequential amount of money. I'm not being like, I don't need $1,000 yeah. a month. An extra $1,000 a month would not have substantially changed my life. I mean, that's like less than what I would make from- Book royalties. And- yeah, right. So why did I take on this enormous hassle? The upside versus your downside. Yes. So I, I do think a little bit more like that. What have you said no to? I mean, lots of book projects uh, that people wanted me to write on or lots of book marketing projects. Like I've gotten really good at like identifying like who's doing a book because it's a good book and they like writing and who's doing it because they think it'll help their business. Mm. You know, I said no to like, you know, talks that would take me too far away for too long for not, you know, a reasonable compensation for that. I said no to, yeah, lots of stuff. I said no to lots of sort of sketchy ethical things. I mean, I got offered a job in the Trump administration. I said no to that. How would you get offered? Director of communications for one of the cabinet members. You said no? Yeah. I, I would do it. Uh, <laughs> I would just, just to see what it's like, man. I that mean, is- I, was, I was definitely more intrigued by it than I thought I would have been. Yeah. Uh, but this was like right after the election. So like before it was like clear how big of a train wreck it was going to be. I mean, like obviously it's going to be a train wreck, but like- It's entertaining. Yeah. Obviously there's a bunch of ideological and, and sort of ethical things that 
would have been a hang up, but it was like, I don't want to move to DC. I like my house. That's a big one. Like when things require large amounts of time away, that's probably the number one reason I say no to things. How do you think about your future project? Like, do you do yearly cycles, quarterly cycles, or how do you think, like, what timeframes do you think about? Like, here's, like, for me, for example, generally think in one year chunks. Like, what's yeah. my bucket list? For my personal, for the business, for my workouts, for my vacations? I'm less structured. I kind of just like, I'm more like, what do I want like my day to look like? And how can I keep it that way as consistently as possible? I like doing the same handful of things. That's like what my ideal day looks like. And so it's more like, okay, if I have to like go out of town for 48 hours to get paid a good amount of money to give a talk or to do something that will help one of the books or I'm researching something or whatever, it's great. But it's like, if you told me I had to move to New York for three months, I remember, let's say one of the big social networks was like, hey, we need someone to come in as like CMO for like six months, do some turnaround stuff. Do you want to do that? And it was like, I'd have to move to New York. And it would have been a lot of money. That would have been cool. It would have been like a resume thing. It'd be like one of the things people, you know, Ryan Holiday, author of this and former, you know, CMO of blank. It was again, it was like, I don't want to go to New York. Like, I don't want to go to New York. I don't want to go to meetings. I don't want to have to like sit in some guy who's 20 years older than me's office and like have him tell me what to do. Like, I just I don't like that shit. I was like checking it out again. I went back through. I was like, let me just see how many podcasts you were on. Been a lot. Yeah, how'd you do that? Like walk me through that strategy of like how that all happened. I mean, I don't know how much strategy there really is. Like I, I get a lot of requests, which is cool. I get way more requests than I can honestly do. I, that's actually the hard part about podcasts. I really like them. I like the conversation. I know they move the needle. And it, in a weird way, like it's sometimes like the only way to like see people that I like. Almost every podcast I've ever been on has come from a direct personal connection, not a pitch of some kind. The nice thing about podcasts and why I think, and eventually this will probably change, but like almost none of them even have producers at this point. You decide who's going to be on your show. Jimmy Fallon does not decide who's going to be on it. Like he has say, but like someone's job is to go do that. It's not like who does Jimmy want to talk to, right? And so podcasts are still nice in that it's primarily like personal relationships. And so my books have fortunately been read by lots of people that have them or people have heard me on other shows and want to have me on. I think also that I have a diverse sort of fan base and life story and gives me something to talk about. But most of the time, it's either reaching out or friend of a friend or it's their incoming inquiries. A lot of the biggest ones has been the other way around. Them asking you. Yeah. And, the, and so like when people are like, I really want to get on a podcast, chances are if you're not getting requests, it's because you wouldn't make a good guest. <laughs> you know, like because you're not that interesting, right? Like the, the, the best way to get on more shows is to like go do something really interesting. I think that's a great point. Yeah. And it's something you totally control. Let's break down maybe the book marketing at a okay. higher level. So when you, as Stillness has come out. Yeah. How did you guys coordinate your plan and break down like, because maybe the podcast was just component, but. It's definitely just a component. So I mean, can you walk through your marketing? So like the big components on books would be like podcast, uh, this in, in no order, podcasts, sort of content marketing. So articles you write and publish. It'd be uh, sort of traditional PR. So like, you know, radio, television. And then it would be sort of like your list, like to your fan base. And then speaking sort of signings events, those are like the main buckets of a launch. So you're just going to go like, all right, what are the 10 articles that I'm going to write? You know, what are the 20 podcasts that I'm going to be on? And when am I going to schedule those? You know, who's pitching NPR, who's pitching local television, like who's doing all that? And then like, what are the five or six cities that you're going to go to where you have fans or where you could do media and events and stuff and, and sort of, uh, there's a lot of overlap, right? Because it's like, oh, you're going to LA to do a signing, but then you're also going to do these three podcasts while you're there. It's kind of a balance, but I sort of think about it as buckets and like, what are you putting in each one of those buckets? 
podcast is a bucket, you know, radio is a bucket, articles is a bucket. And so what do you fill it? Like, did you write the articles? You know, where are you publishing them? And sometimes I just do it in a Google spreadsheet and then just have a tab for each one of those things. And then do you just have a list of the people and places you want to work with and then just check off that you work with them? Yeah. Okay. Who's emailing Noah, you know, or who's emailing so-and-so? And did they say yes or no? And then you're just scheduling it and booking it. And you're kind of coordinating it all about around the launch. But what's been interesting about my books is like the obstacles away hit number one on Wall Street Journal this year for the first time. Not just like first time at number one, like first time it had ever hit a bestseller list five years in. Ideally, you want to make something that stands the test of time and continues to sell. And so it can't just be the launch. It's funny because I was thinking about your book, Perennial Seller, yeah. which it seems like that one hasn't done as strong as, and in my impression, as it's like your other books, ironically. It has, but it's what's interesting about it is that it has a much smaller audience. The audience of people who are looking to improve their life or overcome obstacles is significantly larger than the audience mm. of people who are making books or music or movies and are trying to create something that endures. So all my books have sold well, but they've sold well for what the expectations for what they should sell are. So like success for that book wasn't the same amount of sales as obstacle. Do you go in thinking about your addressable market? Like this book has a wider reach or is it more just, I mentioned this topic I'm gonna do. I don't really have like a number, you know, it's like this book should sell this, but I do have like a sense of like where they fit. Cause like, I think I've published nine books. I don't think, there are definitely people who've read all nine, but like they're different kind of lanes. Like there's like the marketing books, there's the philosophy books, there's like conspiracy, which is more sort of narrative nonfiction, that that's its own bucket. You know, I don't necessarily think each one is like the next Ryan Holiday book, like you should buy it. And so I'm cognizant of how I market even to my own fans. If you just read The Obstacles of the Way and you really liked it, the next book you read of mine should not be Perennial Seller or Growth Hacker Marketing. Not that I'm not proud of those books, but that's not the next title for you. Maybe if you read all the other titles, and then you were like, well, I'm also going to read this. Or if you told me, hey, Red Obstacles the Way, and now I'm about to launch my startup, then maybe it would make sense to read Growth Hacker. But like, they fit in different lanes. With all these podcasts, because I still think there's a lot of people out there, including myself, who are like, you got on a major podcast uh-huh. and major publicity around it. And maybe into you, it's just a, it is a norm of sorts or it's natural. So you're like, I didn't do much. But I think there's a little bit more engineering or like intentionality. I wanted it to be my biggest launch ever. And it was. Out of all my books, it sold the most out of the gate and had the best debut. So I was definitely like, hey, I'm pulling out all the stops. And and that's because I think it's my most, I think it's my best book. I think it's my most universal of books. But what's also nice for me is that like, since I do have a, a somewhat diverse backlist, like I could go on this podcast, we could talk about whatever. And, you know, hopefully people will check out one of the titles. This is one of my guesses. Okay. You have relationships with all those people ahead of time. Definitely. There's very few podcasts that I do that this is the first time I've ever spoken to that person. It's from helping them, I'm guessing, in some way. or Well, or, the, the marketing company has been a great way to meet different people, right? Help them out, yeah. Yeah, I put on a famous person before me, you know, or I connected them with this other person or, you know, they read one of my books and they wanted to ask me something or, yeah. How did you meet all these famous people? I saw you're, you're tweeting with Dominique Wilkins. Oh, like, yeah. And like some of the, I mean, you're just, you're starting to elevate and, and interact on like a different level of, of clientele. Just from the books, like one of the, so one of the really interesting, cool things about books, there's this idea like books are business cards. I, I kind of don't like that anymore because I think it like justifies crappy books. But I would say like writing a book that works is kind of like a weird country club type thing. There's this Harry Truman line, he says, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. What's interesting about books is like most people don't read 
but pretty much all successful smart people in every industry, whether it's like astronauts or athletes or, you know, special forces people, they, they all read. It's a small club. Like if you can make a book that works, that like particularly my books seem to resonate like with sort of successful, ambitious people. You know what I mean? Like it just works. Do you know what I mean? And it works in a, it works for those people. So I, I hear from them. Like, I don't know if I've written the five love languages, maybe I wouldn't hear from people the same <laughs> way. It, it'd probably be helping more people, but it'd be helping more people at sort of a private individual level. And there wouldn't be like, but I don't know, even though everyone I know seems to know like Esther Perel, because like every, lots of people are married and they want their marriage to be better, you yeah. know? So there's just a weird thing about books that, that get you connected into people and yeah dominic wilkins just he just emailed me and i was like holy shit i did hear though that in your some of your sports because it seems like you've gotten a, almost a niche in like professional sports teams yeah. that are, are really into your book someone mentioned i don't i literally don't okay. remember who that like you mailed them your books well yeah i've given as, away lots of books to so sports. can you tell about that because i think there's something interesting that that is then trickled down to those people reading and and it's almost like mark manson's book where i think people show off that they, they've read the title yes by the way on this networking thing you know what it, i would say is an underrated thing and i'm probably spoiling it by saying it being verified on instagram and twitter is like kind of a big deal like not like it's for your ego but like those social networks let people who are verified communicate with each other much more easily so like most of the athletes or well-known people i've known usually it starts like they'll dm me or i'll see that they've they're following me and i'll dm them and it's like oh hey like shoot me an email I don't know him, but like, if you're like, how how would you get in touch with Brad Pitt? There's no like communication media. You're in touch with Brad Pitt? No, no, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm like, saying I'm not. That's cool. No, no, but like. Brad, if you're, like, Brad listens. No, no, just tell him, <laughs> yeah. Brad, hit him up, hit up Ryan. Like 20 years ago, how would you get in touch with a professional like athlete? Agency, you would like your agent or something. Shout at them as they were walking, you know, <laughs> to their car. Like there's nothing you would do, but like social media does allow you to connect with people more easily. I wonder for other people how they could replicate that, even if they don't have that status yet. I was hoping you just share a little bit more about the sports marketing. Oh, yeah. So so what happened was the book started to work in, like I started to hear from sort of early adopters in professional sports, like guys like Ben Kenyon, but not him, but people like Similar. him in that position of like strength and conditioning coaches or mental skills coaches. They tend to be on the cutting edge of like what's coming out, what's interesting, what can help the players. So I started hearing from people like that. And so whenever I would hear from them, I'd be like, hey, that's so awesome that you like the book. What's your address? And they'd be like, why? I'd be like, I'm going to have the publisher like send you some more copies. You can give them away to whoever you want. And so we probably gave away like several thousand copies of the titles by this point. If your product works, it's usually the best marketing. But the problem is you're asking people to pay up front when they don't know that it works. So it's like, why is the first month of Netflix free? You know, it's because like they know once you watch Netflix, you probably won't cancel. And books are like harder to watch than Netflix. You know what I mean? Like books are hard to spread virally. But ironically, I bet eight out of 10 of your favorite books you heard because someone else told you they were good. Yeah. Not because you saw them in the New York Times or like you saw an ad or you randomly bumped into it in a bookstore. It was like- Someone read it. Yeah. Yes. And so like if you want that to happen and you want to supercharge it, you got to have lots of people read it. Yeah, because I, I have seen some celebs, like, or I guess these sports guys mention in their stories, like, hey, I'm reading this book of yours. Yeah. But I, I think a lot of people assume you write a great book. Yeah. And people are like, well, I guess just people magically read it. And I hit up some friends and I get on yeah. a podcast. But I think there's also a level of effort that you're putting in that people are ignoring. Well, yeah. So I wrote a book and it did just because it was good 
land in sports. Like I did not consciously go, how can I get people in sports to read it? Once that spark was there, then I definitely blew on the flames. And then I poured like gasoline on it. Then I wrote articles that I thought would resonate with people in sports. And I did, you're talking about what podcasts do. Like one of the things I'll think about, like if I'm, if someone's like, hey, do you want to do this podcast? And it's like the 500th personal development podcast, like probably (laughs) not, you know, but if someone's like, I have a podcast for special forces operators, or I have a podcast, you know, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, and I have a podcast, maybe I would be more inclined to do that one. How has marketing changed for books since when you started to where it is now? I mean, when I started, Amazon was big, but like now Amazon's like the vast majority of all book sales. So like, you're really just selling on Amazon now. Like, I mean, bookstores are really important. And so I just did this tour to bookstores and I love independent bookstores. But the reality is like most people buy their books on Amazon. So even just like how you design a book and how you write a book and what the cover, like when people are like, oh, what do I want the back cover of this book to look like? You know, they're thinking about like (laughs) someone discovering it in a bookstore and holding it up and smelling it. And it's like, like, how's the thumbnail look on Amazon? Like, that's where 99% of people are going to see it, you know? So it's just really understanding like where the customer is. Uh, You said that to me in the the growth hacking book. You're like, growth hacking is not that different than marketing. It's still the same thing, which is like finding out where your customers are and why they're buying what they're buying. Not enough authors think about that. Not enough people making anything think about that. Does anything work better this year for this launch or anything work worse than you thought? I really started investing in YouTube sometime like early in the summer. And that's been interesting and promising. Yeah, I saw your Daily Stoic channel. Yeah. Is that where you've been focusing? Yeah, pretty much everything there. So with Daily Stoic, we're like, okay, it was an email and it was working as an email. And then we did a podcast version and the po- like, I just read the email every day. Like the email stayed the same. And then, you know, it's now done millions of downloads. So now we're like, okay, well, let's add a video channel. You know, like, I'm just thinking about like, what can be dangerous, like as a writer, but I think as any artist is like, you have the medium that you're most comfortable in or the medium that you started in. And so you only communicate in that. And you don't realize that like with audiobooks, I don't listen to audiobooks. I don't particularly like audiobooks. To me, like I like printed books. Like to me, that's the romance and the glamour and the that's what matters. But I'm not going to turn up my nose at millions of people who listen to audiobooks. Like if that's how you consume books, like I will deliver you books in that format. Not because I don't care, but it's like what I care about is what I have to say. And I'm willing to communicate it in whatever medium the audience there is a sizable audience for. Within reason, like, you know, I'm not going to do stoic dance videos on TikTok. Like that doesn't really make sense. But if the media morphed in some way and it became reasonable to produce content there, I'm not going to pretend I'm too good for it. That's a good point. I like how expanding. I think sometimes, especially I've gotten older, is thinking about relevancy. Yeah. I think there's a balance of chasing all the new trends like TikTok, for example, is like the newest Snapchat. And we never did Snapchat because it didn't really make that much sense for our audience. Did you guys do Instagram? Yeah. Daily Stoke? yeah, I mean, Daily Stoke has 400,000 Instagram followers. And that's like a, a really big driver of readers. It'll be crazy. So like, so we're at Daily Stoic, right? And we post Stoic quotes every day. One Stoic quote, Daily Stoic. And then every once in a while, we'll post like a page from the book, like from the book, The Daily Stoic. And people go, what book is this? You know? And it'll be like, <laughs> the, da- the Daily Stoic. And like, oh, I'm going to check that out. And you're like, this is why we have this Instagram account. Because like, I live in a universe where in my universe, you subscribe to the Instagram account because you read the book. Yeah. Right? 
if you're 16 years old, that's not the universe you live in. You don't live in a universe where you walk through airport bookstores, you know, or where you read the New York Times or, you know, like for you, like Instagram is your introduction to the world. That's how you find out about Gateway stuff. Gateway drug, yeah. So, and I see like other stoic people, like one of the knocks on my books that go, oh, he's just popularizing philosophy. It's like, seems like a pretty good thing to be popularizing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, I, like, that's not insulting me. Like, I take a lot of pride knowing that using the channels that I use, I've introduced a lot of people to my books. And in introducing them to my books, I've introduced them to my favorite books, which is, you know, the classics. There's a lot of people who write books and that think their book is great. Yeah. But don't have an audience. Like, why do you think that your messages resonate differently or so strongly with a lot of people? Like with sports athletes and, you know, all these different types. I don't mean to be flipped about, but a lot of books are not great. Like, I read lots of books and I don't get to finish most of them because they're not very good. And I'm not saying that I'm better. I'm just saying that, like, lots of authors don't do the job. Most TV shows don't work because it's really hard to make TV shows. You know, most movies don't work. Most videos don't get an audience. It's like, it's hard to make stuff that works. Books are a weird thing because like, everyone thinks they can do it. It's like everyone thinks they have a book in them and everyone definitely thinks they have a children's book in them, you know? like So there's like kind of- <laughs> Are like you going to do it? No. Oh, okay. But there's like an arrogance there. Like people are like, oh, I'll do a book. And then their book sucks because like it's really hard. If I was like, I'm going to start a company that's going to have a suite of digital tools for publishers. Like you'd be like, you're going to get destroyed. Like you can't just do that, right? Or if I'm like, hey, no, I'm going to I'm gonna start a tech company or, or whatever. Like you'd be like, do not go into this so lightly. This is like a really hard thing. But like if someone's like, I think I'm going to write a book. Everyone's like, you totally should write a book. Like good job. Like it's really, it's really fucking hard. Dude, in 10 years when we do this again, you'll be like, I have a children's book and a coloring book. <laughs> That's a really good point. I mean, I remember talking with Nick from Alinea. Have you ever been to Alinea? No, what is it? Literally one of the best restaurants in the world in Chicago. Okay. Um, he's been on the show and Tim's and a few others and just really interesting perspective. on. I feel like I'm going to start a restaurant. Yeah. Well, uh, not just that, but I asked him, I said, you know, your food is literally some of the most unique food I've ever had in my life. Most food now, it's like, okay, you have foam and you have truffle. I get it. But what he said, I thought was interesting to, and you, you said it for yourself to ha be a great writer or to be a great restaurant. You have to go taste a lot of food. Yeah, you have fair. to go read a lot of books. And I think there is that impression that people are like, well, I just read a book and I can write a book, but how much time are they spending reading others to understand? So I do like lots of consulting. So like most authors I can't work with. So it's like, okay, let's just get on the phone. We'll do like an hour consulting session. And I'll be like, okay, look at your book, right? <laughs> this is the book you want to make. This is self-published authors. Now hold up one of your favorite books. Do they look the same? And it's like, no, you have a crappier cover. It's like they made it and they never stopped to even think about what books look like. Like this feels vastly inferior to like even mediocre books. You don't think that's going to harm your chances of success? I'm not saying you can't be successful, but like if you open most books, it's like paragraph, indent, next paragraph, indent, next paragraph, but they're You'll open a self-published book and there's like line breaks between the paragraphs, like it's an online article. Like they didn't even think about how most people have been consuming books for hundreds of years. There's an arrogance and uh, entitlement to what most people do. And I think that is why a lot of them don't work. Interesting. Do you discourage people from writing books? Yeah. It's kind of like that fight club thing. If I can discourage you from it, then you shouldn't have done it. I think one of the things that you, you made me reflect on for you personally is just how much you are outputting. I see you a lot over the, I mean, 10 years we've known each other. I still see you writing. Too much? 
No, no, no. It's not oh. about. I'm not gonna, am I discouraging you? No, I'm just. I'm, just <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get what you're saying. Just enough. Yeah, just okay. enough. No, I, I think my thought there specifically was that people put out one thing and kind of like, all right, that's good. Yes. But I think what you've done and you reminded me for myself, the first thing is like, you just, you're consistent. Yes. I think there's a lot of wins in just that, like, I'm still seeing you guest posting. You have your stuff, but you also have like a publishing here and a site there and a thing like there. Well, I think quantity is a way to get to quality. We're not all Daniel Day-Lewis. Well, because he did like a few good movies. He's done like six movies ever. We're not Harper Lee. Like you write one book and then you're, that's it, right? I think quantity is a way to improve your quality, but it's also just like, like think about baseball. Like the best baseball player ever was like 40%. And that was for one season. So like you're not going to hit 100. You got to take some at-bats. Yeah. I think the other thing you said really early on in our conversation that I really, it's making me reflect on is that you have to keep swinging. You talked about it, about being in cold water. Yeah. I go through hot and cold streaks, which I don't think I'm unique in that. I yeah. think it's common. But I think you're like, you're keep doing it. You're like, oh, I love writing, so I'm going to keep writing. I love marketing. I need to keep practicing yeah. the art of marketing, which yeah. I'll do through spurts, but I think I need to figure better ways of being consistent around that for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when you think of like videos or articles you've written, sometimes it's like the one you tried super hard on doesn't do anything. And then the one that you just like threw up, like it crushes. And I think there's like serendipity to that. There's like a purity and on. Sometimes when you're not trying, you actually do your best work. Like I think there's a whole bunch of factors. And then I think it's all just like you show up enough times, eventually you get noticed or whatever. I think one thing that you're doing, which others aren't doing to some extent is everyone's kind of doing the vanilla and doing the medium. Like they go to the middle of like, hey, I'm going to write an article about my whatever topic, yeah. insert thing or whatever business they're doing. And they're like in the middle. And yeah. I think you've actually done a good job. I want to re remind myself and, and the listeners to just pick an angle. My sort of thing is like, do the things that only you can do. So like I write the books that only I can write or I write the articles that only I can write. I see other people do things that crush and I'm going like, I would kill to have an article as popular as, as this person or that person or to be as good as SEO at SEO as this person or that person. But like, that's not what my strength is. There's that Peter Thiel line. He says like competition is for losers. And I really, that's like sort of how I try to live my life is like, I, I try to go where there's no competition. So that's usually like you being yourself. I actually saw a quote you said similarly, which was like your own unique gift is the you're born with a monopoly. Yeah, you are. Yeah, that, I connected to that Thiel thing. Yeah. So like you have totally unique DNA and you've had a totally unique background and set of experiences. So like, it's interesting that instead of like being that in our public personas or our personal brands or voice or thing we create, we're like, oh, lots of people are writing about keto. I'm going to do some more keto stuff. Yeah. It's weird. I don't know why, but it's people go, oh, that's hot. That's what I'm going to do. Or people go like, what's a good niche? And then I want to own that niche. Like I got asked this on a podcast the other day. Someone was like, well, you know, given your marketing background, like um, how do we know that you didn't like pick stoicism just to make money? And it's like, fucking kidding me? It's like the worst niche you could possibly pick. Like, like I did not, I did not pick ancient philosophy because I thought it was lucrative. Like, I picked it because I was really interested in it, and it was what I was fascinated by, and it's what I wanted to make work. And it's only seen now as a lucrative niche. And like, I see people. There's all these self-published books about stoicism. There's blogs. I now see other people's book proposals that mention my books. But when my books were in their proposal form, the publisher was not like, yes. You know, I am curious how you, we talked a little bit, but how you choose what to do next and what not to do next. Lately, I'm reflecting on what is my next level of growth look like? Yeah. Right. And I think part of that is just what am I interested in yeah. and what challenges that provides? Yeah. That's what I think about. So like I have like my next series of books that I'm going to do. I, I sold them a couple months ago and 
it's the most ambitious thing I've tried to tackle. And the reason I wrote Conspiracy is it's very different than my other, I think you've got to be like, the idea of just doing the same thing over and over again seems really boring. Like, seems like you get really efficient at it. Not pushing the edge of what- Like at the end of your, like, okay, let's say like, I really nail these like sort of stoic, driven books like the obstacle ego and stillness are in like a that's like a, a form a structure and i know it works so let's say by doing the same thing over and over again i'm able to by the end of my life crank out an additional 15 of them versus like if i'm doing one-off projects or whatever right what does that matter what are you trying to get efficient at i just don't get it so the goal is not efficiency it's excellence and being challenged and interest and you know all that are you the kanye west of writing that would be that would be the most <laughs> egotistical thing you could possibly <laughs> try to trick me into saying well i was just thinking a little bit i was like well you have like a marketing book but then you're throwing out a stoic book and then you're doing a conspiracy book and then you're like True. well i'm also gonna have a marketing agency and guess what i'll invest in real estate and you got the company and so it's like it just got me triggered with the kanye where he has a lot of different avenues that I think at the end of the day with creatives I mean, and everyone to some extent, it has their own level of creativity. It's like they are creative because they're exploring different pieces of life they're interested in. How do you relax with this stuff? I was just like, you're tiring me out hearing about you. <laughs> no. I, I am tired a lot. But no, because uh, you, you walked in the office and you're like, yo, I'm exhausted. I'm going to London on Monday. I'm going to another thing. I got a European thing. I've got two kids. I'm running. I'm writing. I've got business. Like, and I know you enjoy it. So I get yeah, that. I, I enjoy it. But I think people think my day is like much busier. Like, so my day this morning, so I got up at 6.30. I took my son for a walk, then we had breakfast as a family, and I wrote in a journal, then I drove him to daycare, I dropped him off, I went swimming at the YMCA, then I wrote for two and a half hours, I had lunch, I read a book while I ate, then I did some notes on something I had to do, then I came here, then I'm going to pick him up and I'm going to go home. That's not like an atypical day for me, that's like my day, and people might go, oh, that's really relaxing. No, if I can pile up a lot of those days in a row, that's how I'm able to produce. It's actually the, you know, being on the road basically six weeks for the book. That's been the problem. I think people underestimate just like what decent, consistent effort can produce. Like people think like you get rich by investing in some startup that grows super rapidly when it's like the second richest man in the world is like Warren Buffett and he invested in like railroad companies and insurance companies and he let it compound over like 65 years. You know, like really how you make money is consistent, steady, compounding gains. I tweet just different things I'm thinking about. One of my most popular tweets this year is about how the most successful things are boring. Yeah. I know for me, I still, as much as I, I know that, it's really hard. Yeah, you really like, want oh, this what software do you use? To you do know, your like, writing? Yeah, and it's like, Microsoft <laughs> Word, dude. Like, you know, or Google Docs. Like, but I could also be a legal, like the, I think people want these elaborate systems or like software or like secret things. And it's like, show up every day consistently produce and success is a byproduct of those systems yeah i was at the sauna like a month ago I mean, we want to do a sauna meeting we'll yeah. do it we'll do it one of the times when i was in budapest i went to these these baths <laughs> so good which ones did you go to did you go to one with the hot tub on the top i don't think so there's one right across from the river okay and then there's uh, the giant one did you go to the yellow one i didn't the go to the giant like newish one. i went to the two really old ones rudas I yeah went to that one and then i went to one called gallert or something. I don't know, Gallard, but I've done Rudis. Yeah, that was incredible. Dude, they're awesome. Have you done Korean swas? No. All right, so next time, if you go to Dallas or Houston, okay. we just did it up in uh, in Dallas after a wedding, and you just hang out in the spa all day. Really? Dude, it's amazing. Cool. Yeah, they've got like different pools, different hot tubs, cold room, they I have like, food. What I liked about that one in, in Budapest is it's like, oh, people have been doing it in this spot for like 500 years. Yes. It's like really cool. Yeah. The Korean one's a little awkward because you get naked in front of your friends. 
yeah. which is different. It's interesting who you, you're okay getting naked in front of. Like strangers, I'm like, yeah, look at it. But my buddy, I'm like, eh, maybe not. I was in Helsinki once and I was like, I really like to swim in cool swimming pools. Like where would be a cool place to swim? And they told oh, me that's good idea. But it's a swimming pool. Like you swim laps, but you're not allowed to wear a swimsuit. Is it natural spring or something? No, no, no. It's just like an indoor swimming pool, but that's just like the culture. Like running, you get why you wear clothes, right? Like, but swimming naked, it was just, it was weird. It was just weird because it was like, it just felt weird exercising, not having clothes on. But like, that's what the Greeks and Romans did. Like for most of human history, there were no like workout clothes, but it felt weird. So the thing was, it's funny about, we were saying about riding and stuff like that. I'm in the spa, this is a month ago, and I, some guy mentioned something and he's like, oh, is that a new workout? And the guy I've seen month, I've seen a month later still looks the same. Yeah. But it's the idea like the workout or the next food supplement or the next like book will actually change. It's like all the people that I know that were super into paleo are now super into keto. And it's like, I thought you were convinced that was thing. Do you yeah, know what I mean? mean, preferences of all, but yeah, I think it's looking for the shortcut. I'm just saying it's like the point should be to sort of optimize to a reasonable point and then move on. People are often optimizing for very marginal gains. That's the point. It's like, what software do you use? Like the greatest writers of all time did not use any software. So like this is giving you a, only a very small improvement at the margins. To the stoic part in the Greek philosophy and swimming naked, most importantly, yeah. I'm visualizing it. Did you create the wave or did you, how did you notice that that, because I think one of the things I've noticed in my professional career is that I've been a part of waves. Even failing, I would have been successful. Like join Facebook, it was going to do well. Mint did yeah. well. Facebook games did really well. Groupon stuff did really well. Then we built like SaaS tools that's done well. And then Shopify's. And so I bet you've also found that with places you've lived, right? Like I moved to downtown Los Angeles in 2007 and then it blew up. And then I moved to Silver Lake and then it kind of blew up. And then I moved to New Orleans and then it kind of blew up. And then I moved here and it, you know, like, yeah. and I moved to the East side. And then, you know, now where I live, that's where people are starting to move to. And so, yeah, you kind of realize that you have this sense for where things are going, but you're not always like sort of taking advantage of it the way that you could, I think. For the stoicism thing, it was not, at, again, no sense that this was would be a lucrative trend. It was more like, I was just really interested in it. Well, I guess I was curious. I was like, did you see that people were like reading your articles related to it? And so you're like, I'm going to go further with it? A little bit, but it was more like, it was my favorite thing to write about. When Trust Me Online came out, I kind of had a cross, I could write more books about media and marketing, or I could use the fact that now I had a successful book and I could write about what I wanted to write about. For the people coming out of college or people who want to skip college, like how would you have explored your career? If I was graduating right now? Yeah. Because I think for you, you you've know. loved writing. Yeah. You know, because I was thinking about life advice. It's like, I don't know, life is like, I've lived and you have wisdom through right. being older. I guess I, I'm curious how you think you would explore professional again. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, podcasts are obviously big. Video is obviously big. But the problem is it's always a risk of whether you're just like hopping on something and it's super competitive or should you be getting on something that's new? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. It's a mix. You want to find like what's new where there's like low hanging fruit, but then also you want to pick something that's likely to, like Jeff Bezos says, you know, like focus on the things that don't change. So I think like as much as we're talking about like using new tools, whatever, what I'm putting through those tools is like advice that's thousands of years old. Our most liked, you know, message on Daily Stoke, let's say on Instagram is a quote that's 2,500 years old or whatever, right? Like, so yes, you're using cutting edge tools, but like the quote's going to work because the quote has worked for 2,500 years, you know? And so if I was starting, maybe I would try, make sure I'm not getting distracted by like cryptocurrencies or, you know, whatever's like new and sexy and everyone's telling you is going to be the big thing. Well, I also think it's finding the things that you just are doing for free. Totally. Like I've been blogging since 2000, mostly for free. Right. And it's just been a way for me to promote things or connect with people. Yeah. Like I met Tim because I was blogging. Like it right. wasn't, and that was before anything ever happened. 
Yeah, yeah. Would you do it for free is a good, like I would definitely write books for free. I wouldn't speak as much for free, but mm-hmm. I would do some speaking for free. You know, I'd write emails for free. I'd, I'd do most of what I do for free. I like that you do the consulting part because I think that keeps you fresh and it also brings yeah. you new ideas. All right, so relaxing, just you do your day. I like that though. So you structure your, and is your week pretty much consistent throughout that? Yeah, Saturday and Sunday are the same as Monday. So stoicism, a lot of it is like, oh, have no emotion, blah, blah. I don't even know. Like part of me hates it. Part of me likes it. I'm not even going to go into that with you. All right, good. But I guess what I was curious about was specific times that you've felt jealous or disappointed. One of the reasons I quit Facebook I have it because we have a, a group on Facebook that we use. But basically, in January, in January of last year, I just started a new account with no friends that I only post in this one thing on and I don't use it. It was that I was getting frustrated with myself at how frustrated or distracted I was getting with what other people were doing. The toxic nature of our politics was like, let's say 30% of it, but 70% of it was like, oh, how did they get that? Or like, how are they doing this? You know, or like, is that really what they're doing? Like, why didn't I get invited to that? And I was like, I'm just not going to participate in this. I don't think stoicism is about not having those things. It's about realizing that those things are destructive and trying to actively manage and redirect them towards more positive ends. And so literally, I don't think I've missed anything. I can't think of any downside to me not having it. I guess what when was the time recently this year? Because maybe that Facebook's gone. Has there been other disappointments or things you've been jealous of? Most of my jealousy would be like sort of professional jealousy where it's like, you know, that Theodore Roosevelt thing, like comparison is the thief of joy. You're almost never happy comparing yourself to other people. And so for me, it's mostly in that, oh, do you hear so-and-so's book sold X amount or so-and-so speaking to this audience or, you know, so-and-so, look at this. The irony is like, I know objectively things I post must elicit that in other people, maybe even the same people that I'm being jealous of, right? <laughs> That's the irony of jealousy. Um <laughs> that's awesome i'm just imagining both of you jealous of each other yeah it's totally what it is and so i kind of try to walk myself through it but most of all i just like just try to cut off sources of it where it tends to be like encouraged with like with this book or any of your recent books has there been disappointments or like you didn't get on shows or the book didn't sell as much or you didn't get a deal i wish conspiracy it's all more i think conspiracy is my best book it's definitely i think my best writing it's it was the best reviewed Compared to most people's books, it sold very well. Compared to like Bad Blood, which came out at the same time, I'm like, what the fuck, you know? But you got to go like, did you write the book you were capable of writing? Did you write the book you wanted to write? You know, did you say what you wanted to say? You know, would you have been willing to say it differently to sell more copies? You know, like, so at the end of the day, I'm happy with it. But like, there's certainly moments where you're, you're like, why is that book in the front of the bookstore and mine isn't? I think one thing that you're doing that I just want to highlight for others, and I'm curious how you think about it, is that you're also still selling your original stuff. Of course, yeah. I know myself, it's like onto the next one and onto the next yeah. one. Like I was talking with a, a person yesterday and he's like, people are only buying my merch when I have a new limited edition. Yeah. So I guess how have you addressed that or, or thought about that? I think it's about making things that are timely or sorry, both timely and timeless. And then realizing that for people who have never heard of you, all your stuff is new. Mm. So yeah, people be like, is it okay to talk about like, you know, obstacle, on, you know, in this interview? I'd be like, sure. I'm not only here to promote the new thing. Like I I think it's all, if I didn't think it was good, I wouldn't have done it, you know? So like the idea that I'm only interested in it for a couple, you know, years or weeks or whatever, I don't, I don't totally understand that. But I think that's just a good mindset to, for everyone to take away. Just yeah. like, hey, you have all this stuff. If you, and I think one thing that you say is very insightful, which is if you think it's great, 
Yes. If you're really proud of what you've put out, like you should go out and share it with the world and go say, like tell people. You know Tim Graw? Yeah, I loved him. When one of my books came out, he's like, you only told your list about it like twice or something. And he's like, I know you think like you don't want to like bother them, but what that's saying is that you don't think it's that important. So let's say on this book, I probably email my list about it the most times. You didn't that really I, do I, it that much. No, I don't think I did it that much. But I'm just saying out of any of my launches, I, you know, let's say I sent five emails or something. Oh, yeah, no. it was more than usual. And, you know, you'll get one email from someone. They're like, unsubscribe. <laughs> How could you do this? You know, and it's like I've gotten to a place where that definitely doesn't bother me anymore because I'm like 200,000 other people did not complain. Yeah. Like they had no problem with it. And you can also look at the data that's going to help you with this because it's like, if they weren't hearing this for the first time, they wouldn't be buying it. And the link is showing that they're buying it. You know, this was helpful for me. So like I did all these Instagram posts, all these email posts, whatever. Then the book came out and then like a week later it, it hit the list. And so I posted like a screenshot of it hitting the list or whatever. And someone was like, oh, I didn't know you had a new book. And you're just like, Fuck. like, so you just realize that like as much as you think you're marketing, totally. like people are way too busy and they're not, there's almost an ego in thinking that you're over marketing because like you think people are paying a lot closer attention than they actually are we had a similar thing with we had a course few like five years ago and literally every month throughout the whole year we'd email the list yeah. and people would be buying 12 months later and i was just like have you not listened yeah and it was an interesting reminder i was thinking about emails as well if i email someone generally it's a second or third email you have to keep telling them yeah that they'll actually get replies and things yes. like that yes why do you think conspiracy didn't do as well like it's a it's a narrative fiction like bigger audience crazy story yeah i don't know so they're turning it into a movie so if the it like oh it, really yeah if the movie happens like it'll i think it will still go. i mean it's it sold well like it's in the top 10 percent of books of that year or whatever like it, or something like it's a it sold well but I think I wrote the book that I wanted to write, maybe not necessarily like just what I thought would sell the best, you know? But I also think like I decided not to make Peter Thiel the irredeemable villain of the story, which is probably what oh, a large chunk of the audience wanted. So if you went even harder that he was a crazy mean if, guy. If, if like, so Bad Blood is like Elizabeth Holmes is a charlatan. She deserves, you know what I mean? Like I've she heard it's is, a really interesting book. I've heard it's really good too. I've, I've read the guy's articles, but like, and I think the evidence much more supports his position, right? So I'm not like criticizing it, but like that is a black and white story, right? I thought the Gawker, Peter Thiel thing was complicated and that there wasn't a clear good or bad guy. And so I decided to tell it how I saw it, but like, I definitely think I could have gotten more media attention if I wrote it as like out of control, evil billionaire, Ooh. like should be stopped. People like simple stories and that would have been a simpler story. Because I think there's certain books like Long Tail from a long, you remember Long Tail yeah. from a while ago? I think there was a book where I was like, all right, I, I got it from the title. Yeah. There was more to the story than I expected. Yeah. I've followed the Gawker stuff yeah. with Hulk Hogan, but I, when reading your book, I was like, oh, there's a lot more details. Yeah. That's what I was interested in. So mission accomplished. Yeah. There's some books like that, like, you know, Warren Buffett's book, Snowball, yeah. Schwarzenegger's book, and then Tiger Woods' unofficial biography. Are these books that I'm like, I've read, I thought I read enough about them. Is that the newish Tiger Woods book? No, the one oh. from a few years ago. Okay. Did I tell you about it? Yeah, it's not, well, you're, I think you're on your. Yeah, yeah. That, I just, I, I thought that book that was spectacular. Insane. Well, because I thought, oh, I'm not Tiger Woods. How did, right. you know, he did golf, did well, yeah. wife, cheat, but the background of it and the crazy. deep. Crazy. So good. But I think that was similar with Conspiracy, where I was like, I think I know the story, but there was more to the story. It's continuing to sell. I think it'll keep selling. It just didn't like blow the doors off, you know? We'll finish up with books. Because right. your your reading list, I put it out on one of the other podcasts as a must subscribe. It's ryanholiday.net slash newsletter. Slash reading dash newsletter or something or just go okay. to my site yeah there, go yeah. to runholiday.net and your reading list is phenomenal i'm doing it this weekend are you putting out another email 
Well, yeah, I mean, I got to write it this weekend. Yeah, your newsletter thing is one of the few that I, because I think nowadays people are like super protective with email. So much stuff is fine for attention. That that list is great. I think I'm reading one right now from that. Uh, Being Nixon, is that you? Yes. Okay. That book is incredible. Dude, it's awesome. All right, I want to talk about, and the final thing, must read books before you die. Okay. So I was trying to think of your children before they die, what books are you like? These are the books that you've got to put on your- Do you know who Ben Sass is? He's the senator from Nebraska. No. He wrote, this, he wrote a book called The Vanishing American Adult, but he, he was talking about, he's like, every family should have a bookshelf of like the books that everyone in the family like tries to read and builds their life around. So I, I do like the idea. Favorite ones would be Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, Shadow Divers, great book. Dude, it's so good. The Tiger by John Valant. You would lo- if you like Shadow Divers, you'd love The Tiger. One of my favorite novels is this book, The Moviegoer by Walker Percy. It's about New Orleans. Have you read uh, Fahrenbeck's book about Texas, Lone Star? No. If, since you live in Texas, you should read Lone Star. The Odyssey. I think everyone should read I The Odyssey. I tried that one. Okay. Did you read the Emily Wilson? There's a new translation that's pretty good. That's by Emily Wilson. That's a good translation. 40 Laws of Power. I read half of The Powers. Yeah. That's maybe why I'm not doing it as well. Mastery by Robert Greene, also very good. Pick one of your books. One of my books? Just throw, like just if, one if of mine? they can only read one. I think I go Obstacle. The Robert Caro books, anything by Robert Caro. That's a good list. It's a solid list. Okay, and then books of this year. Range, that was a big one. A lot of my recommendations, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I found this book. And I'm like, oh, actually Ryan recommended it. I take that as high praise. The Secret Race, best book this year so far. Okay. Secret Race is by Tyler Hamilton. Uh, he was Lance Armstrong's yeah, yeah. writing mate. And it's just an insane behind the scenes of, right, of what I'll that's like. That. that was phenomenal. I. Liked it because my girlfriend, my fiance is Vietnamese, but in retrospect, did you recommend this one? No. It's Robert McNamara's Behind the Scenes oh. of the Vietnam War. Have you seen the documentary Fog of War? No. I watched the Ken Burns documentary Vietnam War. Okay, you got to watch the Fog of War. You know what I read? Because I, I don't know how I got, oh, I think we were living in LA, but Helter Skelter. Super good. That's an insane, like I didn't All know anything. All his books are good. He wrote a bunch of good books. Because my fiance is Vietnamese, the happiest refugee. I didn't know anything about Vietnam. I was like, yeah. America just went over and I was like, there's so much more to Vietnam than we think. Of course. So this is one of the, a person's life experiences. Daniel Suarez's stuff, Delta V. You ever read this guy's stuff? It's all like Nearfi. It's kind of like Ready Player One stuff. His books are insane. I really like his stuff. Gridiron Genius, I think that was you. Very good. Really, really strong. Mike is the one, he was one of the first people that introduced my book to professional football. Was he? Yeah, he's the one that kicked it all off. His stuff is, yeah, I think you're, I don't know if I got it from you. Did you recommend Wild Thing? Yes. That was insane. Yeah. Either Beat the Reaper or Wild Thing by Josh Bazell. Oh, and then Rocketman. Dude, Robert Kurtz, I'm so glad you put me on. Best. I feel like such a schmo. So you know you were the one that, like, you emailed me like, hey, can you help promote him? I was like, yeah, I'm busy, I'm busy. So I actually reached out to him like six months ago. I was like, hey, I really love Did you respond? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. He was solid. Because I wanted to help promote him. Yeah. Isn't he like the nicest human being of all time? Yeah, he's great. There's people out there I'm like, that's a good person. Yeah. That's pretty much, that's a lot. All right, let's call it. All right. Thanks, man. Boom. That's a wrap. I hope you really enjoyed the episode. If you did, go check out okdork.com slash 31 to win all of Ryan Holiday's books. You can also check him out at ryanholiday.net and go buy every single one of his books on Amazon. I enjoyed Conspiracy. It's an interesting story. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's go play some laser tag together. And before you go, let me know what you thought of the episode by emailing podcast at okdork.com. I check out every email that is not in English. Final special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com as always for making these podcasts sound so great. Thanks, man. Thanks as well to Sean, David, and Mitchell at the Dork Team. And also a special Croatian shout out to my boy Luca at Sumo this week. Just letting me let you know I'm thinking of you, man. You're great. What's your favorite hobby? Hobby.